Good evening, everyone. How are you all doing? Had a nice afternoon? Yeah? Excellent. And remember, in case you didn't have a nice afternoon, <laughs> accept that as well. <laughs> it's the buzzword for this mini retreat. Anyway, what we'll be doing tonight is doing half an hour meditation together. I will guide you again. And then we have lots of questions. Maybe I shouldn't have done that because there's still scissors in here, actually. Lots of questions to answer. But don't, I won't worry about those. Oh. Always give people the opportunity to help you out. That sounds silly, but that's one of the best lessons that Ajahn Brahm ever gave me. Allow people to help you and allow people to be kind to you. One time I was uh, still a lay person living in the monastery. So that must have been eight years ago now. And I had a quite of a challenging time. My meditation was quite good, but sometimes these challenges come up. And uh, Ajahn Brahm noticed that. And what he said is, let other people be kind to you. And when he said that, I was... I don't, didn't understand why do you say that. I, uh, I have no problem let other people be kind to me. I mean, would any of you think that that would be a problem for you? Probably not. It sounds a bit weird to say that, let other people be kind to you. But the same day, somebody also noticed that I was struggling a bit. This was uh, dear Richard, some of you might know. And he gave me a cup of tea and said, this is for you to help you out. And I suddenly I realized what Ajahn Brahm meant. Because you only allow other people to be kind to you when you allow yourself to be kind to yourself. That's what I realized then. You can only allow others to be that level of kind to you as you are kind to yourself. And I realized I wasn't as kind to myself as I could be. And by seeing the example of somebody else giving me just a small thing like a cup of tea, that's why I realized what Ajahn Brahm meant. Anyway, as a little random thing, but that's why I let Venerable put the piece of paper in to have him be kind. <laughs> Thank you. So let's do some meditation then. And then afterwards I can talk a bit more. Ooh, darkness. Ooh, very darkness. <laughs> Hello? Is everybody comfortable with it being dark? Please, if you feel it's not all right with you, let me know. No? Okay. Otherwise, afterwards you can tell me as well. For now, we'll leave it, leave it off then. So, as always, when we start the meditation, get in touch with our body and find a decent sitting posture.
don't automatically assume that you know beforehand what posture is good for your body because it always changes. Not every moment of the day or every day you the same posture is perfect for you. Sometimes you may want to sit in a chair, sometimes on the floor, sometimes left foot over the right, sometimes right foot over the left. And to know what is the right posture for you right now is to just bring awareness to the body. Just get in touch with the various parts of your body. Ask yourself, what does my body feel like right now? And is there anything I can do to make my body more comfortable? For example, I'm going to move my foot. You might have your own little thing. just like the lights come on now if you focus on your body it's like you turn the inner lights of your mind on bright when at first you focus on your body you don't really feel much you're not very sensitive yet but allow it a couple of minutes just to be in touch the various parts of your body is like turning up the lights inside of your mind. You can know better what adjustments you might have to make for your body to be comfortable. And be kind to your body.
once you've done all the course adjustments to your body, moving your legs, etc., moving your pillow, whatever, and there's all these small, tiny adjustments, these tiny relaxations that you can do to make your body even more comfortable. Open your heart to your body. You can tell your body, body, You've not always been perfect, but you've got me through life so far. So thank you for that. And now it's your time to rest. if there's any parts of your body that are painful or uncomfortable, just see what is your attitude towards that. How does the mind react to the discomfort? Does it try to run away from it? Or does it get annoyed? Thinking, you should relax. Everybody else is relaxed. Or whatever you might be thinking. And if you have any of those attitudes of trying to run away or being negative. See if you can find a way to turn that into acceptance and kindness. There might be parts in your body that have been troubling you for months or years even.
But how have you been reacting to that? Right now we have opportunity to do something new, not react with negativity, but with kindness. have compassion for our body, especially for the uncomfortable parts. It's totally natural if you find this difficult because it's a natural reaction to react to pain with dislike. To also have compassion towards yourself if you find this exercise challenging. That's okay. We accept ourselves here as we are, both the body and the mind. Here's a little trick you can try if it's still challenging to send kindness towards any possible discomfortable parts of your body. Instead of starting with the discomfortable part, find a part that feels comfortable. Could be your hands, or your feet, maybe just something like an elbow or anything. Focus on that instead. I'm going to use my feet as an example. But whenever I say the word feet, you just fill in your own body part that feels comfortable right now. 
Thank you, feet, for doing what you do, for supporting me in this life, having been there since birth, send all my kindness to you. in all my awareness and full acceptance of how you are now. And really tune in to the ease and pleasant feelings that you feel in your comfortable part of your body. This, first of all, creates a good relationship with our body, knowing that it is not all is comfortable. Second of all, gives us a starting point to spread this relaxation and kindness throughout the body. My feet feel really relaxed, but my back does not. So what I am going to do is slowly spread the relaxation from my feet up into my ankle, into my legs, into my pelvic area, slowly up my back, just spreading the relaxation from the pleasant part into the painful parts. Please do that for yourself very slowly, very kindly and gently. See if you can just spread out that ease. Just imagine that you can that this ease is some physical thing that you can spread throughout your body.
very gently, very kindly, make peace. And please also realize that a body, by its very nature, will never be perfectly at ease. There will always be little discomforts hiding here and there. Sometimes very small, sometimes a bit bigger. That just are not possible to meditate away. So all we do then is just accept them fully as a part of life. Once you've reached as far as you can relax your body today, you can decide to stay with the body, relax maybe even deeper or just enjoy it or turn your mind to whatever else is going on in the present moment. We hear the insects outside. You hear my voice. There's probably things going on in your mind. All this part 
of the here and now, we send the same attitude as we had towards our body of total acceptance and kindness. not wanting it to be any different. This is the way life presents itself to us. And we are happy to be here. Be especially kind to yourself to your, and to your mind. You've come all this way to meditate, it's amazing. You can really be grateful to yourself for that. No need for any ill will, no need for any thoughts like, why am I not a better meditator? Or, it shouldn't be like this. Or any negativity, no need for at all. We accept ourselves the way we are. And if there is any negativity or ill will, that we accept too.
we realize that whatever is going on in our body and mind is all part of nature. There's very little control we have over it. So we accept it. With a warm heart. It's almost been half an hour already. Just take another minute and just enjoy being here. And check out how you feel now after this meditation. Yippee-yay-yooey, let there be light. <laughs> it's funny how the mind works. When I told you all to check out how you're feeling, of course I was also checking out how I myself was feeling at the end of the meditation. And I noticed this negativity, little bit negativity, why am I not as relaxed as I usually am after meditation? Must have done something wrong. Then I realized, of course, because I've been talking all the time. <laughs> of course I can't be as relaxed as usual, so stupid, stupid, you could say. But I accepted it straight away. And then I'm at peace. And I hope you found some peace as well during that meditation. Don't expect a 100% success rate with your meditation. It's not always gonna be more peaceful at the end than when you started. But usually it is. 
as with anything with life, you cannot always be successful, right? Same with the questions and answers. I will get some wrong. <laughs> the problem is I won't tell you which one I get wrong. So maybe I'll get your question wrong and then you'll have to figure it out yourself. <laughs> anyway, there's a lot of them. As you, as, as you could have seen when I threw the scissors out. I'll do my best to get through all of them. But of course, because of that, some I might have to uh, go through more quickly than others. And I apologize if that happens to be your question. Let's see. Do you think there are good and bad meditations? Good and bad meditations? I would say no. Because good and bad is a judgment in the mind. There's this quote by Shakespeare. How does it go again? Shakespeare in Hamlet. And uh, there's nothing either good or bad in the world, but thinking makes it so. That's the, that's the quote. And uh, the story is that uh, I think Hamlet's friends, they enjoy staying in Denmark and Hamlet is not wanting to stay in Denmark and then they are like well how, is Denmark now good or bad you want to want to stay here and we don't and then he says there's nothing good or bad in the world thinking makes it so Denmark is not good or bad but their attitude is what sort of makes it good or bad for them and it's the same with meditation you might at the end of the meditation be really relaxed and judge that as a good meditation or you might at the end of the meditation feel more tense and judge that as a bad meditation but these so-called bad meditations are often the ones where you learn the most and you might say well from now on I all, will only turn up when it's the good meditations <laughs> and when it's the bad meditations I'll just stay in bed <laughs> <laughs> Does that work though? <laughs> no. When I was a young boy, I used to pick flowers for a job. That's what you do when you live in the Netherlands, right? <laughs> we used to pick these flowers, actually in the greenhouses. And I used to, in my holidays, go there sometimes every day. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, also Saturday. And Saturday was always the payday when we got paid and the boss paid us for all the week's work. And at some point I was thinking, what if I only come on Saturdays from now on and it's always payday? <laughs> I didn't seriously think that, of course, but you, you have this fleeting thought. Does that work? No. Those of you who have a job, if you only come up on payday, You'll lose your job and your boss won't be happy. It's the same with meditation. It cannot always be payday. Yeah? So if you say, only the good meditations I want, it doesn't work like that. You have to have some uncomfortable meditations as well. And every now and then you get a paycheck. Usually every time you get a little bit of a paycheck, but sometimes, wow. It's the end of the year bonus. <laughs> I don't know if they do that here in Australia, but you get a 13th month in the Netherlands, they call it, 
at the end of the year, when it's Christmas, they give you another month's salary in most of the jobs. Of course, they calculate that beforehand when they decide <laughs> what your salary for the year will be. <laughs> they just take that into account and take like 8% uh, off your normal salary or whatever. But it feels like you get a big bonus. And it's the same with meditation. Sometimes all the pieces just come together and it's just the big payday. And you go really, really deep. I might talk about that really deep stuff if questions come up. So don't judge your meditation as good and bad. Accept them all as they are. Question number dos. Thank you. Well, <laughs> I don't know, it's not a question. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Thank you too. If they're all like that, then we might be out of here really quickly. Number tres. Thank you. No. <laughs> okay, well, this is one about the deep meditations. I'll leave that one for later. Ooh, a whole poem or a story. How can we cultivate enough loving kindness for ourselves in order to break free from and create boundaries to stop ourselves from being mistreated and abused, even due to having experienced lifelong abuse and trauma in the past. How do we stop the cycle and create a better future? Well, that's a really deep question. I'm not a trauma expert at all, of course. I'm just a Buddhist monk. But I did a little course in trauma-sensitive um, teaching meditation in a trauma-sensitive way. This is actually one of the reasons why I said before, when the lights turned off, is everybody okay with that? Because some people may have had very scary experiences in the past in the dark. And they might get really frightened when we turn the lights off. So trauma, I learned during that. I was in some contact with some psychologists who teach meditation in a trauma-sensitive way. And uh, it's not an easy topic, so I cannot also not give an easy answer to this question. But I'll pick up some certain points. How can we create boundaries using loving kindness? Creating boundaries can, can mean many things, but I've realized in myself often when, for this is not directly trauma related, but maybe you can find the similarities here. When people ask me to do stuff that I actually don't want to do, but then I sometimes I still say yes. And that's sometimes been a problem for me because then I do more than I feel comfortable with. And I get a bit of a grudge against those people. Why did they ask me to do that? Yeah. <laughs> And why did I say yes? And over the time I've learned that when I say yes, I sort of decide I am more comfortable with feeling re regretful against those people than with feeling uh, like shameful or like, like feeling that I let them down. I'm more comfortable with my own discomfort in a way than discomforting those other people. Does that make any sense? 
I'm more comfortable hurting myself, well, hurting is a big word, but uh, creating myself discomfort than those other people. I realize, hmm, that's not fair. Why would I hurt myself and those other people uh, I care about more than myself? Why do I not care about both equally? don't know, some of you might know the Buddha's teachings on loving-kindness. And what does he say? Have a loving-kindness towards all living beings. And all living beings include yourself as well. And often as the di most difficult person to have loving-kindness towards. But very important to never forget about yourself. Is Usually not a problem if you care more about yourself than about others. <laughs> so maybe that works to create some boundaries. Consider more your own kindness. And then the question continues. To stop ourselves being mistreated and abused. Well, if there's really mistreat and abuse in, uh, say, a relationship or something like that, then you might actually need to physically remove yourself from that. Then... It's not, not all things in life can be solved by meditation, okay? Let that be very clear. Sometimes you really need to uh, get away from certain dangerous or abusive situations. Um, if that is that way. But if you are already removed from that situation and have solved the, like the physical abuse or verbal abuse, whatever it may be, and you are actually in a safe place, but you still feel like the trauma is coming back up, then meditation can help. That's what those psychologists taught me. can definitely help with self-awareness. But be very gentle with yourself. Take things easy, step by step. These feelings of trauma can be really overwhelming. These sometimes memories, sometimes physical sensations in the body that remind us of the past. And we have to really be at a place where they do not become overwhelming. We have to be at a certain place where we feel like we can handle. It's like the safe place that I taught you about before. You need to find the safe place. This is what you need to focus on first, and it may take a long time to find a safe place. But once you do find a safe place inside yourself, and then it may be possible to start exploring the feelings and memories coming from that safe place. Let's say there was a very dark and scary forest, and you were scared to go in there. And first you stand outside the forest and just look at the forest and become used to the forest by being safely outside the forest. And one day you feel ready and courageous to go into the forest and you just take a couple steps into the forest. Ooh, it gets a bit dark and scary in here, but you go back again. And another time you feel ready to go a bit further into the forest. And every time you go 
a little bit further into the forest until you know the forest fully. But don't go straight into the forest the first day because you will get lost and it will be very scary. Very good question. I n knew some things about trauma were going to be coming up. That's why I took that course in uh, teaching the uh, trauma-sensitive way. Also because of COVID and stuff, many people are struggling with it. So this is one thing. You are not alone, uh, whoever wrote that question. There will be other people in this very hall struggling with similar issues. So be kind to yourself. And don't feel like you are uh, not worth it or that you're worse in any way because this is not the w this is not true yeah, trauma is more like almost a physical disease and you if you get a physical disease you don't gonna not gonna think that you're any less than another person yeah like say you get cancer or whatever you're not like oh so stupid that I got cancer can't do anything about it. it's the same with trauma yeah don't don't put yourself down. If you want to speak about it a bit more, then uh, find me maybe after the retreat when we have a cup of tea. How do you meditate with your eyes open? Okay. You do this. <laughs> I don't know. What is that? For example... A busy train ride, naturally, you see lots going on. Yeah. Uh, well, if you want to meditate with your eyes open, you can. If you don't, you do not have to. When there's a lot going on and it annoys you, then you can close your eyes. <laughs> and if closing your eyes, for example, makes you sleepy or uncomfortable, and you just feel like opening them, then you open them. I think I'm not fully understanding the depth behind that question. I'm sorry. Can meditation treat anger? And how? Thank you very much. Well, thank you as well for this question. It's another very good question. There are a lot of good questions here. Can meditation treat anger? Yes, it can treat anger. And I would actually say it's one of the few things in life that really can treat anger properly. There's no pill against anger unless they invented something new. There may be pills to sort of calm you down, but it also makes you more dull and stuff. There's no pill just against anger, I don't think. But meditation can be used against anger. And that is when we generate kindness. Just before, when we did the guided meditation, and I taught you how to be kind to your body, if you get the feeling of kindness, we also call it metta, that's in the language of the Buddha, or loving kindness is a translation for that word. Uh, that's the classic way to treat anger, with kindness. And to develop this feeling over your life, uh, gives anger less control over you because you'll be na more naturally uh, responding with kindness instead and maybe actually 
tomorrow we can do a guided meditation specifically on that topic. We'll do that tomorrow. Ah. Moving on. Oh, that was the question that I was going to do last. Quantum physics entanglement. That's the, that's the header. I said you can ask about anything that monks have anything wise to say about. No, I'm not sure about this. Scientists have measured a magnetic field around the heart nine feet in diameter. They say when we meditate in a group or magnetic fields combine and become one. It's called heart coherence. Do, do you believe this to be true? I believe definitely there is some sort of uh, power in meditating in a group. Whether you can actually measure that with magnets or magnetic fields. Uh, if they did that, then that might well be true. But I would, I'm, I'm a bit skeptical of that. Actually, I did a degree in the, that had lots to do with magnetics and stuff. I used to study engineering, electromagnetic engineering, actually. Uh, but we never did that. <laughs> Would have been an interesting thesis, I suppose. Something new for my professors, instead of robots and whatever, measuring uh, love and kindness uh, meditation. But uh, sometimes it's not the point about do we believe certain research or not. There's lots of research going on into meditation, but if everybody's researching meditation and has all these wonderful results, but we don't practice meditation, then it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> and if nobody would be researching meditation, but we would practice it, and we would know much more than any research could ever show. See what I'm trying to say here? Research is just something external, you know? It doesn't really tell you what the truth is in the end. In the end, it's our own experience that tells us what is true. And loving kindness that you mentioned, if it can be measured at all, I would say the best measurement is your own heart and your own mind and not some magnetic waves or magnetic fields, sorry. How do you meditate whilst walking? Venable, I think it's your time to shine. <laughs> Please stand up if you want. So, meditation while walking. Well, those who've been on an Arjun Brown retreat before know how walking meditation is practiced here in Australia, in Perth especially. First of all, very important is the position of your hands. Venable is going to show it to you. The position of your hands is like this. Yes. <laughs> and then this is how you do. <laughs> yes, excellent. <laughs> now this is, uh, you could do it like that if you need some joy in your life. That's one way to do walking meditation. But, uh, 
usually you don't do it like that. Sorry. You're, you can show another way. So we've got these halls here in the side, actually, which are especially for walking meditation. So walking meditation, you can do go just for a walk in the forest and sort of meditate while doing that, but more the more uh, peaceful way or the more standard way is to have a little path of meditation and you just slowly walk down the path. You'll see in these rooms down here the path for meditation and you just walk down it and while you're walking down the path you just practice calming your mind. Practice the kindness, the same kindness towards your body and mind that we've been practicing during sitting meditation. And if you decide, you can also focus on the feeling on the bottom of your feet. So Venerable, just walk very peacefully and slowly right now. You can really walk at any pace that you feel comfortable. And it's sort of walking up and down. I don't know if there's a word for it in English, but in uh, Dutch we call it ice bearing. <laughs> because I don't know if you ever went to the zoo, what the ice bears do. They walk down, back and down. Have you ever seen that? Oh, that's because it's very sad. Those bears are trapped in a cage and they're used to walking miles and miles. They're like, almost like mig migrants and migrating animals in a way. So they're trapped in the cage, so they just walk back and forth. That, that, that's what we call in, in Dutch ice-bearing, anyway. So you can do ice-bearing meditation as well. Instead of when you get, sometimes you sit a lot, and it gets a bit uncomfortable, and this is another option to do walking meditation. There's actually many ways that we can use the mind in meditation. There's the loving-kindness meditation that I've mentioned a couple times. There is other kinds of contemplations. There is focusing on the breath. There is contemplation of the body. There is uh, making peace. And lots of stuff that you can do. And all these you can actually do while sitting and while walking. And sort of just change your posture. Yeah. Usually you can go deeper by sitting. But you can also get very, very deep while walking as well. You can get very, very peaceful. Thank you for combining deep wisdom, well, I'm not sure about that, and teachings with a light humor. It's easy to, to listen to you and very enjoying. Well, thank you. I think if people are very serious and strict, then they don't have much wisdom at all. I think wisdom, I'm not going to say I have deep wisdom, but hopefully a little bit. And I think if you have wisdom, it always humor sort of comes with it because you just realize that life need to, don't need to take it seriously because you live light, lightly, live life lightly. Wow, that's difficult to say. Live life lightly. Because you accept it the way it is. And that opens up something inside of you that just makes you uh, more uh, 
smile a lot more, and also your humor tends to increase as well. Buddhist monks can be the funniest. <laughs> Got some very, very funny people in the monastery. So this is not a moment for another joke, I suppose. <laughs> okay, what's the good one? I always try to get my joke some some connection to uh, to the talk, but uh, there's one joke I've never been able uh, to tell because it doesn't have connection with the talk at all. It's also a, a tiny bit rude, but since this is just about humor, it sort of has a connection. So I want I always wanted to tell this joke. So here you go. <laughs> so there's the carpenter. He's working on the sewing bench, or the sewing bench, no, the saw bench. He's cutting the wood, but his arm slips, and he cuts his hand off. Ah, it falls on the floor. But luckily, somebody is quickly to, to be there, grabs the hand, put it in a back of ice, wraps a bandage around the arm, and says, off to the doctor you go, you can fix it. So the carpenter, up, up to the doctor comes to this surgeon in Perth and says, oh, look doctor, what happened? Can you sew it back on, make it work again? Yeah, the doctor says, yeah, of course I can do that. It'll cost you $100,000. What? A hundred thousand? Well, he didn't do it with that hand. He did it with that hand. <laughs> what? $100,000? I don't have that much money. I'll go somewhere else. So, he took a plane to China, let's say. And he went to visit the doctor in China. And he said, look doctor, what happened? Can you fix my hand, sew it back on? Yes, I can, said the Chinese doctor. What will it cost me? Not $100,000, I hope. No, no, only 10 yen. Oh, that's what they use in China, right, yen? I don't know what it is, it's very little. So the man, the carpenter, is very happy. And he just paid 10 yen had his hand sewed on, and it was all working again. Wow, wonderful, had his hand back. So he flew back to Perth and visited the early doctor, the one that charged him so much money. And he said, here, look doctor, it's all fixed, only 10 yen. You know what you can do with your $100,000? Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I got to tell it finally. That's a bit rude, isn't it? But it's funny. <laughs> yes, instant karma is that what we call. But this came with a question as well. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, now I gotta calm down. What do Buddhist teachings say about the origin of humans? And how long have we been on this earth? Nothing, because Buddhism is not interested in that. Because Buddhism is interested in our own lived experience that we have right now. We are interested in our own birth and our own death. But how the human race came to be is one of these things that is for the philosophers and the thinkers. And many religions have their ideas on it, but funnily enough, Buddhism, well, funnily enough, not funnily enough, it's just Buddhism doesn't have that. 
It is not concerned with the origin of the world or humans. We go inside ourselves and look at the origin of mainly of our own suffering. Where does our suffering come from? Where does our desires come from? All these psychological ideas, this is what Buddhism is about. It's really like the odd duck among religions, really. Because we don't have these answers really to the universe at all. 42, that's the answer. (laughs) That's from a movie for those who are like, or a book actually. I've been working with people that have been diagnosed with dementia for over four years now. The only difference between us and them is that we think we are sane. That we think we are sane. Right. Thank you for the teachings and this opportunity. Well, thanks also for the uh, opportunity. It's due to the retreat organizers and the people who built this monastery, or monastery, this meditation retreat center. You should also thank the monks, by the way, for the very floor you're sitting on. The meditation in this retreat center was built just a year or two before I arrived at Bodhinyana Monastery, so I wasn't here for it. But this very floor you're sitting on was put in there largely by the monks in Bodhinyana Monastery. And there's a funny story behind that, because there was planned long in advance an opening retreat for the center. Before they started building, they asked the builders, make sure it's finished on this specific day, because then the retreat starts. And we want to, of course, have the whole retreat center finished. Well, it was all finished, but the floor, only one third was finished. And then the builder was, toodaloo, I'm going home. And you, Figure out what you do with this unfinished floor tomorrow when you have the big opening day. So what did the monks do? Monks don't always meditate. When there's something to be done, we spring to action. So the monks, they came down here and worked until four in the morning, apparently, I wasn't here as I said, to finish the floor. And with all that hard work, they uh, finished the floor quite inspiring to hear, right? Actually, I was part of putting these panels in, but those only came later. And I did lots of other jobs here as well. But lots of, lots of love and lots of hard work has gone into this place from many people. And thank you also all for being here. Because without retreatants, there would not be a retreat at all. Why you choose to a monk. Probably you want to ask why you choose to be a monk. I never chose to be a monk. Never chose to become a monk. I chose to unbecome a lay person. (laughs) Because Buddhism is all about 
simplifying life. And when our desires disappear, we become... We also start disappearing ourselves. Try deep teaching, but at some point I realized that lay life didn't fit me anymore. And it's not that I wanted to become a monk, but I just wanted to get out of lay life and live a life that's not focused around work, family, and lots of pleasure. Physical pleasure, I mean. I've been meditating for several years and have been initiated into Kriya Yoga meditation. I always thought I was a good person. You are a good person. A kind, compassionate, etc. But, no, no, don't put the but there. Just say I always was a good, kind, compassionate person, period. Anyway, it continues, but I have a really nasty side of me that I didn't know existing coming up and I don't know how to deal with it. Okay. Well, for all of the people here, Wu is not perfect. Please raise your hand. Wu has a nasty side in them. Please raise your hand. Oh, looks like it's everybody. Ah, well, you are not alone. One more question. Do who of you allows all the mistakes of all the other people that just raise their hand? Do you allow them to be imperfect? Just raise your hand. Yeah, so whoever wrote this question... All the other people here think that you are okay. We allow you to be as you are, including your so-called nasty side. So we accept you as you are. And this is what you also need to do yourself. This nasty side, you need to embrace first, accept as it is before you can change it. Remember when I told about the tire? The, the flat tire? And I said, how do you change the tire? Not by being angry at the tire and wishing that it wasn't there. No, you pick up the tire, accept it as it is, basically embrace it, be kind in a way, and then you can put the new tire in. So this nasty side of you be kind to it. It's there because of circumstances. Things that happened in life. Situations that were beyond your control. And we are all not perfect. If we would be perfect, then we wouldn't be here. I think we can make it through all of them, actually. I was hoping to do it within an hour or so. Sorry if some of the answers are a bit brief. How should one conduct themselves in daily life to ensure the best chance of obtaining a deep meditation? Excellent question. Again, to be a good person. And to be a good person, I mean, be truthful. 
be kind to people. Follow what we all intuitively know is good morals. Don't go uh, don't go following your anger and desires. In Buddhism there is a set of five precepts that you might want to consider. And the five precepts are basically training opportunities, training rules we sometimes call them, but I prefer training opportunities, to be a better person in life. And uh, they are not commandments like you should, but they are commandments like I will try my best too. Yeah, you see the difference, like I should or you should versus I will try my best too. And these five precepts are do not kill living beings. Do not kill humans, of course, but also try not to kill other living beings. When we try to catch mice in a monastery because they've been eating in our larder again, we always use the, those kind of traps that they just fall into and then we take them away and open the trap up somewhere very far away. We don't use the killing traps for that very reason. Because by, that is also where you show kindness. And no living being wants to be killed. The second precept is not stealing. Not stealing anything from anybody. The third precept is do not engage in sexual misconduct. It's, these are, by the way, the precepts for the lay people. As monks, we have many more, of course. These are the standard precepts. Not engage in sexual misconduct means if you have a partner and they, you have some sort of agreement not to have sex outside of your relationship, then do not do that. This is one of the ways to not engage in sexual misconduct. But I think you all sort of know what sexual misconduct means. The fourth is, this is a, to my experience, one of the most important ones is to not lie. To always try to tell the truth. To not mislead people or deceive them. Because by being honest to other people, we create this um, attitude of honesty towards ourselves as well. And it's very important, because by being honest to ourselves, we can actually learn to really see ourselves as we really are. Often we don't want to see the way we are. It's sort of like lying to ourselves, in a sense. And if you lie to yourself, then you can never do the true acceptance that I've been talking about. So that will block your meditation. The fifth precept, and this people often find the most difficult, <laughs> is to abstain from uh, uh, recreational drugs and alcohol and things that cloud your mind. And the reason is that it clouds your mind. And uh, you may do stupid stuff, and it will also affect your mind in the long term. Sometimes, when people in traditional Buddhist countries 
take the five precepts with a monk or a nun. Usually you take them like this. You bow to the monk or nun when you take the precept. But some people, they don't want to take the fifth precept, so they think if they just do this, <laughs> it doesn't count. So they hope the monk or nun doesn't see when they do this. Or maybe some people don't want to keep it. <laughs> but those are the five precepts which are uh, opportunity uh, or sorry, are, are a possibility to take yeah maybe we should do a little break to go to the toilet and things like that what do we think hands up if you'd like a little break okay Everybody's happy. You can also, if you really need to go uh, or stretch or whatever, feel free to just uh, walk out. Johnny Depp or Amber Heard? <laughs> yeah, not a good question. No, a smiley face at the end. I don't know. Yeah, whatever they do. It's just some other people, I don't care. Well, I care about all people, but I don't care specifically about the, what they're going through in a way. You know, sometimes it's just sensation in the media. And, yeah, and whatever. It's all media is a bit like that, by the way. I always try to, to create all these sensations. And... When I was a young boy, in, uh, in primary school still, I always had quite good grades, used to do really well. So at the end of the year, they usually invite your parents over. Uh, the teachers invite your parents over to talk about how your, their kid has been doing, what their grades have been, and what their future prospects might be, what kind of school they could go to, or whatever. And one time, my parents came back from a discussion with this, with this teacher of mine, and they said, well, your teacher said you've been doing really well, but whenever you guys are in the class are discussing the news, you never know what's going on, <laughs> because you never watch the news. So even back then, I didn't watch the news, and I didn't start watching the news just because my teacher told me to, because I realized back then already it doesn't do you much good. It's always focusing on the negative parts that happen in the world. And because that is what grabs our attention. And it's really the media is, the news is just trying to make money, really. They're not really trying to really tell you what is all the important stuff that you need to know. They're just trying to grab your attention. And now, especially with the worldwide connection that we have, we know everything that's going on everywhere. And this can create so much tension because the, the world starts feeling like such an unsafe place when there's a war here, a hurricane there, a flood here and there, all the things happening. But if you lived 200 years ago or whatever, you would only hear that the neighbors next door had a fight or whatever. That would be all the news you would got. So, 
I think news just creates a lot of tension in life. So that's why I don't watch it. It's just a random tip you might want to try it as well. I just want to express my gratitude. Thank you for the idea of acceptance and linking happiness and suffering. Now, that's not my ideas, but I'm happy to share them with you. It helped me to embrace my journey with cancer better. Ah, oh, that's excellent, your journey with cancer. Yeah, you don't know where this journey is gonna bring you. Maybe it'll end up in life, maybe in death, but from Buddhist perspective, that is not the important part. Whether you live or die, it sounds at the surface, if I say it, it sounds maybe a bit coarse because it goes so contrary to what other people might say. But living or dying is not what matters. It's the way you live the life that you have. The way you spend your time that you do have. And if you do spend it with acceptance and kindness, then in Buddhist, Buddhism we believe that you will, after death, go to a good place where there will be no cancer anyway. Because we believe, for those who are not Buddhist, in rebirth as well. And I won't talk about that much on this retreat. So yeah, if any of you have any sicknesses, don't battle them with ill will. Sometimes you have this idea that people die from a sickness and then they say, oh, but they really fought hard. I'm not sure if I like that expression myself because sometimes you can fight, but through fighting you just get so tense and you don't you don't get anywhere really often. Instead, acceptance and kindness. And this is actually what gives you a lot of, as I told before, it gives you some energy and actually a possibility to uh, try and counter certain diseases. I'm not going to say you can cure all cancers with it, of course, but it definitely won't hurt to be kind. There, Ajahn Sunyo, with correct spelling actually and how it's spelled in Pali. That's really well done. It must be a seasoned Buddhist here. Pali is the language of the, the Buddha and uh, all of the monks, we have a name in the Pali language. Thank you for the suggestion to focus on what I value instead of what I want. Very helpful. Yeah, I've been doing that myself as well lately. To, not just in meditation, but just to spend my life in a way of what I value. For example, a question come up, do you want to teach this retreat? And do I want it or do I not want it? In a way, I don't want it because I could be sitting in my heart and just meditating or doing my own stuff. In another way, I might want it 
because we can have some nice jokes. <laughs> but I realized, what are my values instead of what are my wants? And my values is to share, sharing, generosity, caring for others. And also a sense of community as well. Monks live a very isolated life, but also to me also important, a sense of community. So, yeah, it's a very helpful tool to live your life around values instead of once. And you might even spend an hour or two thinking about what are my values in life? What do I really care about in life? Yeah, maybe it's self-exploration, kindness, caring, these kind of ideas. And then when you ever have to make a big, deci big decision, instead of focusing on your desires, focus on your, on your values, where you're coming from. Would it be skillful to learn to appreciate, this, to appreciate the sunshine, even on a sunny day? Yes, yes, of course, if you want to do that. But it, this was a simile, the simile of the sun behind the clouds. It's like suffering, it's like the clouds, and the happiness is when the sun comes through the clouds. And to see the rain as nature blessing, and to see the rain as nature blessing the thirsty earth with much needed moisture, rather than a personal inconvenience. Thank you. Yes, that's one way to look at rain, and nature blessing the thirsty earth. But I've got another way to look at rain. This is taught to me by my earliest teacher, my father. <laughs> my father, he is an electrical engineer working in a factory about 20 kilometers from where we lived. And he would every day go there by bike because we're Dutch, right? <laughs> That's all we do. We go by bike. I actually did an internship there as well. Uh, when I, when I was in my first year of university, and I also went there by bike, and I realized it's actually, yeah, it's quite far, 20 kilometers back, working all day, and then 20 kilometers, or 20 kilometers one way, and then 20 kilometers back every day. When I was a little boy, me, my brother, and my mother would sit around the dinner table at night, of course, spoon in hand, like this, waiting for my father to come home, hoping that he had the wind in his back so, <laughs> so he could start dinner early. But of course, sometimes it would rain. And he was, well, 20 kilometers, it doesn't matter if it rains softly or really hard, you'll get soaked regardless. It also doesn't matter what you wear because if you wear all these uh, rain gear, then you just sweat so much that you are just as wet. But he always got wet back home, soaking, and then I would always ask him, oh, are you okay? It's so wet, so much rain today. And then he would always say, without exception, yes, but most of it misses. 
And it's so true. You always, when I cycle in the rain, I'm always like, it feels like the whole cloud is just above my head. Just like in those cartoons, you know, wherever you go, the cloud, it's like all the rain falls on you. And you get so annoyed. Why is there always raining on me? Is that another U2 song? Yeah, that's what it feels like. But my father always had a different perspective. Most of the rain misses. And I've been using that as a teaching in my life when I am suffering. Sometimes I feel like, why am I suffering so much? And it seems like the only thing in life that matters, all the things I can talk about or think about, is my own discomfort. But then I think, most of the suffering misses. There's so much suffering in the world, and I'm only a small part of it. Why am I so worried about my own suffering? It's only a little bit of suffering that hits me like the rain. It's only a little bit of rain that hits you. If you're sick, or if you're not well mentally, yeah, it feels like the whole world comes crashing down upon you. But you can try to change your perspective. There's lots more things going on in the world. This is actually a teaching the Buddha himself gave in one of the early Buddhist texts. And then he also asked us to reflect upon our own suffering and say, well, there's so many beings in this world who are undergoing the same suffering or even worse. So just don't worry too much about your own suffering. And it puts things, puts things in perspective. It's very helpful. I don't understand this one, sorry. If you ask the question and it's not been answered, then come and see me later, because I don't understand that. How do you become a monk? How do you become a monk? Or a nun, I suppose. Well, it's very easy. You go into your bathroom and <laughs> no there's more to it than that of course yeah there is uh, a little ceremony that you have to do and in different monasteries they do things differently I mean in this monastery in Bodhinyana we ask people to stay as a lay person for a year so we can check them out and after that year we can ordain them as a monk but in some monasteries, you can't just walk in and ordain the very same day as a monk. <laughs> Mainly some monasteries in, in uh, Thailand and Sri Lanka, for example. And because the ceremony is actually very brief, and it only takes uh, maybe half an hour. But, so it's not really the ceremony that makes you a monk in a sense. It's more like, how do you become a monk in here, inside your heart? And it's something I'm still working on as well. It's sort of a life process. But if you're interested in becoming a monk, then uh, ask one of the monks. Maybe come visit the monastery one day and uh, talk about it.
My body vibrates when I meditate. Why? Well, maybe it is this magnetic fields that are going on. <laughs> no, this is probably your body is not actually vibrating. You just feel as if it is vibrating. You're actually sitting very still, but you have the sensation that your body is moving. It's like it feels like it's vibrating. Because it can, the perception of your body can do some very funny things when you meditate. Many people report they feel like they're floating outside of their bodies or like their body is slanting at an angle while they are sure they are sitting up straight. I had a really funny one when I started meditating. I just felt my body in 3D. Yeah, you could say high definition or whatever, 3D. I felt my body, but then suddenly it sort of the perception just sort of snapped like I had a flat body. Really weird. A couple seconds later, it snapped like I had a body that was only a line. Weird. And then it just became a dot in space. So this floating, this vibrating, this being two-dimensional body or whatever. What is going on? Yeah, why? Good question. And this usually happens with new meditators. And the reason is, when we meditate, we close our eyes, we become at peace. There's not a lot of stuff going on. Yeah? We, d we hear very little, we, we do very little with our body. However, our brain is not used to that, nothing going on. It's always uh, used that there's stuff happening. And so these neurons in your brain start randomly firing, that's what, how a scientist might describe it, but just because the brain is used to all this activity going on in the brain. And this creates all these weird perceptions. It's basically, um, what do you call it? There's a, there's a word for it. Sensual deprivation, in a sense. Yeah? the stories of people going in these sensual deprivation chambers nowadays and they experience all these weird things. Why is that? It's because their mind is sort of shut off from the things it's used to. And so it starts creating its own experiences. So all these vibrations and this floating and stuff, it's just the mind sort of playing around, you could say, to try and make things more interesting because it's not used to things being so quiet. And this is why it usually happens to new meditators. Because when you have meditated for longer, your mind is used to nothing happening. And it doesn't start trying to make things interesting anymore. It doesn't play around with these perceptions. Anyway, these kind of perceptions of floating, etc., there's nothing wrong with them. But don't get caught up in them, because usually there's nothing special about it. Yeah, as I said, it's just perceptions. You can sort of play around with them a bit if you want. If it feels nice, stay with it, but don't think you've got some magic powers or whatever. <laughs> yeah? So don't get caught up in them. Sometimes people do, that's why I warn you. 
if you have a choice between eight hours of sleep versus seven hours of sleep and one hour of meditation, which is better? Why are you laughing? Why are you laughing? Because some of you probably think seven hours of sleep and one hour of meditation, that's going to be the answer. But I'm not going to answer it. Because it depends on your circumstance. Sometimes you just really need that eight hours of sleep. And you've been working really hard, you're really sick, or whatever. Then just take that eight hours of sleep. Yeah. Because you might force yourself to meditate, even though you're really, really tired. Then what kind of meditation do you get? This kind again. And that's usually not, not the best. Yeah. So sometimes you just take eight hours of sleep instead of seven hours plus one. Or you take nine hours of sleep, or ten, or eleven, or... Even monks we sleep in sometimes. Which is a real problem, because now we sometimes think monk doesn't show up for breakfast, and I must be sick, because now COVID's going around and stuff. And then we need to go and find them in their hut, Hey, are you okay? Are you, don't you have COVID or whatever? Oh, no, I just slept in. Oh, okay. So they just needed their extra sleep. We don't get angry or whatever. Yeah. Sometimes you just need your sleep. But if in general you would have to choose, how about eight hours of sleep and one hour of meditation? That's often a possibility as well. Give up something else than sleep. Yeah, maybe an hour of television or whatever. Give that up for meditation. Or half an hour, or whatever you feel like, yeah? Often people cut down on their sleep if they want to do something else, but usually they spend a lot of time during the day uh, on things that are more worthwhile to cut out upon than sleep. Please, could you talk about forgiveness? If someone's hurt you and you have ostensibly forgiven them, but the pain remains, how do you let go of the pain? I think that's sort of... The pain remains. I think then you've still not fully forgiven them. First of all, forgive yourself for not being able to fully forgive someone. <laughs> because if you can forgive yourself, then you can also forgive others as well. And when we earlier, when I asked people, please raise your hand if you are not perfect, and everybody raised their hand. And everybody in the world should raise their hand. Because nobody in the world is perfect. So, we can forgive everybody because we know it just comes with life that we are not perfect. We can forgive even the most evil persons in the world. Can you forgive Hitler for what he did? That sounds, that sounds very big, right? It's not easy to forgive someone like that. 
But we can, because we realize that evil persons never woke up one day deciding to be evil, to be bad. It's just circumstances in life that made them the way they are. Things outside of themselves, which in Buddhism we call conditioning. They were outside of their own will conditioned to be the way they are. Yeah. There's a simile sort of on the tip of my tongue but I can't figure out what it is. Or on the tip of my mind, you could say. Yeah. Anyway, I may have think of it later. But we can forgive everybody. But that is not to say that it is easy to forgive everybody. Yeah? Just because I tell you uh, everybody's condition doesn't mean that it is easy to forgive people. So it also involves learning about life and learning about how you yourself are often swayed by situations around you, how you yourself don't always do what you think is what you should do. We all make mistakes. This is just the way it is. And you don't want to be that way. I just uh, a few days ago, no, a week ago or so, I did something that I, uh, in, in hindsight, didn't want to do. Because what happened? Well, this is a couple of weeks ago, actually, when I just moved over to my new hut here at the other side of the monastery, the one that I mentioned before. And at the beginning, I was still going sometimes with uh, some other uh, a lay person and a monk, and they actually drive the car around uh, that way, and they go up to the to the house there that they have, and I would usually join them. But now I'm always walking. But that day it was raining, and they just left me waiting. Well, I was supposed to join them in the car and they actually decided to stay over there and they didn't tell me so I got annoyed and I said ah oh, you should have told me that you were not going over to here and I felt really bad afterwards but because I really told that monk off but then I realized I was just being annoyed and it was raining I just made a mistake it's natural so I forgave myself for it and what we always do as monks as well, when we did something like that, we say sorry to the other monk as well. And by saying sorry is actually recognize that you did something that you ideally wouldn't have done. And then that monk always forgives you as well for whatever you have done. And that way we can forgive ourselves as well. I am slowly getting better at staying in the present moment. However, after 10 or 15 minutes, I start to feel bored and restless, thinking, that's enough, or what's next? Are there any tricks to sustain it longer? Of course there are, yes. Many, many tricks, I'll give you a few. If you get bored and restless with the present moment, 
then it means they're not truly content with the present moment as it is. So what could we do to be more content with the present moment? Is to make it more pleasant, actually. And this we can do by creating a sense of joy in the mind. You sit down and meditate. For example, you, you're not just being in the present moment, but you also really realize, oh, I'm so happy to be in the present moment. So fortunate to be able to meditate, for example. These kind of thoughts, they bring up joy in your mind. And the, and the present moment becomes more delightful. It becomes more alive and more interesting because you bring up all these positive feelings in your mind. Another way is with this loving kindness that I will talk about tomorrow. This, this really this feeling of love and acceptance and kindness. This becomes such a powerful and beautiful feeling that it you just want to stay with it naturally. It's a nature of the human mind that we often we we sing something beautiful and we just stay with it because it's beautiful. You don't have to force to look at something beautiful. You just stay with it naturally. So create this beautiful mind state. This is also a reason why being a good person, the question that was earlier, why that helps with uh, meditation. Because you can, in meditation, reflect upon how you've been a decent person. Never perfect, of course, I've said that before. But you've been a good person, you, you, you take care of yourself and others. You, know, you try to be honest, try to not steal and stuff. And don't take that for granted. But it, actually, you can in your meditation bring that up and really reflect upon it. Wow, I've been really doing my best, trying to live a good life. Wow, being kind to others, being uh, generous, etc. And it really, wow, that lifts up your mind and you become so happy. And the whole experience actually becomes more enjoyable because of that. And it's like the joy and the happiness, it's like glue for the meditation. It's sort of, without, without joy and happiness, yeah, it's actually a good question because without joy and happiness, it's very easy to, to drift off from the meditation after a while. But with the joy and happiness, it really sticks us to our experience, to the present moment. Because it's nice to be with and if the present moment is just a bit dull and not exciting, then usually yeah, you might be even using too much force to stay with the present moment. And ideally we don't want to use force. We want to have it be natural, like the present moment sticks with us. It's like, in a, let's say there was a storm going on, and there's two ways that you could deal with the storm. You want to stay in one place during the storm. You could grab something and really hold on tight while it's storming. Ooh. But after a while, you get tired. And you will let go and you'll drift off and the storm will take you away. Another way is to take shelter somewhere. And the shelter is like the, the joy. where You can really hide inside there and really be uh, at peace. Yeah. That joy actually 
can grow more strongly and strongly and actually uh, really overpower you in a way. Which brings us to the last question. One more thing, actually. I didn't teach you about focusing on the breath during meditation. This is another very standard meditation technique. It's when you have arrived in the present moment to pick up a certain object in your awareness and just focus explicitly on that. Not just on the present moment at large, but just one thing that's going on. And one very standard thing is to pick the breath. The feeling of breathing in and breathing out. You sit there after you've settled down your body and arrived in the present moment. And when you feel it's time, just invite in the feeling of breathing. Wherever you feel it most prominently. And just let that feeling come to you. You feel the breath going in and out. And that can really settle the mind because the breath can be really beautiful. It starts off maybe a bit dull, but it becomes very beautiful after a while. And it can become so beautiful that you go into very deep states of meditation. And for those of you new to meditation, you won't know any of these words. But the question goes, Venerable, how do you go to jhana stage after nimitta? So nimitta is actually when this joy that you experience uh, becomes really, really powerful that it actually starts being an object of the mind and it becomes, um, the mind starts looking at itself instead of at the body or other things. And I won't go into too much detail because this is a beginner retreat, but I will answer every question. So this nimitta, you've probably heard from other meditation teachers. How do you go to the jhana after the nimitta? Oh, sorry, the question is how to go to jhana stage after nimitta. And so that's a different from how do you go to jhana stage after nimitta, which I thought it said first. And then I was going to say, how about you don't go? to the jhana stage of the nimitta. This is very deep stuff, but in order to go into the really, really deep states of mind that the Buddha used to get enlightened, these are the, what we call the jhanas, you have to let go of everything, including yourself. This is why the Buddha himself, when I t- told you before, was afraid of meditation. It's not just because he was afraid of being with the breath or whatever. No, he was afraid of letting go of his whole sense of ego, the sense of who he thought he was, the sense of that he thought was in control of life, which actually, according to reality, doesn't exist really. So you have to let go of that illusory ego And you can't really do that because then that would be ego again. So it happens when the time is ready, really. And you can't really do it. It just happens when it's time. But if you're interested in those kind of questions, come to a nine-day retreat or something like that. And they will be answered in more detail.
we did it. Went a little bit over time that I was hoping, but did them all. So thank you very much for listening. Tomorrow we will come together again and I will teach you about this loving kindness meditation. For now, have a good evening. You feel like doing any more meditation? Please follow some of the advice I've given you during this questions and answers. Be kind, forgiving. Maybe see if you can create some joy as well in your mind. Focus on how good of a person you are, how well you're, you're just coming here. Wow, I am really, you are to me like top 1% of the world of people. Yeah? You are the 1%. They've got this, feel, this, this, this saying uh, years ago that they're, they're the 1% is like the rich people and we are the 99%. But the real 1%, the real rich people, are people to me are people like you. We're actually trying to create peace inside themselves and in the world and learning about themselves. So I take my hat off for that. I don't wear a hat, but... And I say awesome to that as well. So let's all together say awesome to each other. And that is sadhu. Yeah? We do that three times. Sadhu. 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 Yay. Excellent. And if you don't feel like meditating and you need eight hours of sleep, ten hours of sleep, twelve hours of sleep, remember, I have no expectations of you. Do whatever you feel like. It's the right thing.